can you believe what God did this past Easter? I mean, you, you see that, and it's just, it's just a move of, of God. And I want to thank all of our staff and every single volunteer that just poured your hearts into making Easter happen at CCV. You matter so much to us. Thank you. Um, but, but listen, when you see over 73,000 people um, come on a weekend and 1,170 people give their lives to Jesus and be baptized, all the credit goes to God. Because we're not that good, I promise you that. That is a move of God that we need to thank him for. And please understand, all 1,170 of those people have a story. I wish I could stand up here just the whole service and just tell you story after story after story that I heard. But I'll just tell you one. Um, his name's John. He's been running from God for 30 years. And for 30 years, his family's been praying for him. Please, God, impact John's life. And John came this Easter to CCV. His sister was here, and during the service, he, he felt the conviction from God that, that he needed to give his life finally to Jesus, go in and, and be baptized. And his issue his whole entire life is he hasn't felt worthy. He kind of had that picture of, like, all the garbage that God would never accept me. And during the service, he's like, I, I got to do this. But he, he said to himself, he said, ah, oh, but I can't do it today. I have jeans on. Right before we said, hey, if you didn't come prepared, we have a change of clothes for you. And he said, oh, shoot, there goes that excuse. So he walks to the baptistry really reluctantly, and he, he, he wanted to talk to a pastor because here's what, here was his question. Am I really worthy? And the answer is, when you're ready to repent and go home with Jesus, the answer is yes. And he gave his life to Jesus. He was baptized. Let me show you a picture of him and his sister. And if you could see their faces, it says it all. John is just one and of all the thousands of people that, that did this. And so can we give it up one more time for God and all that he did this past Easter? Give it up, yeah. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Letters from My Future Self. And here's the idea. If you could go back in time and give your younger, dumber self a letter, what would you say to yourself? Like what advice would you give? I was having this conversation last weekend and, and one of my friends said, oh, I know what I would say. say. I'd say, buy a ton of Tesla stock. I was like, well, yeah, I mean, we'd all do that, right? I, I started thinking a lot of, about a lot of funny things I would tell myself. Um, I'll give you a few. I'll give you a few next weekend as well, but here's just a couple. One, I would say, dear Ashley, in Wilcox Elementary School, you're going to worry year after year about the Ds that you're getting on your report card in handwriting. Your handwriting stinks. It did. No one really writes by hand in the future. Don't sweat it. You're going to be just fine, right? So I tell myself. Two, dear Ashley, stop eating all cheese and milk immediately. You're lactose intolerant, dummy, which I, which I am. I didn't know for a long time. It's, you're going to feel so much better about yourself, um, and you're going to feel so much better physically, but plus you're going to avoid a really crazy, embarrassing moment on the baseball field at, in 1993. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to say another word about that. Here's the last one for today. Dear Ashley, in the summer of 1997, you're going to be invited from the audience to go on stage at a Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas. Do not, I repeat, do not go on that stage for any reason. You want to hear more about this one? All right, so here's what happened. 1997, I'm dating Jamie. Her parents took us to Las Vegas for a day, and they bought us tickets to the show called Mystere. It's this amazing Cirque du Soleil show. It's really incredible. And we had front row seats. And halfway through the show, they take an intermission, and they have this performer come on stage, 
He was like just over five foot tall. He was this 400 pound man and he was dressed as a baby, just in diapers and like a bonnet and he has like a binky, right? And he is just cracking up the whole entire audience. He has the audience in the palm of his hands. He doesn't speak any words. He just, he just says stuff like this, like, just making baby noises. And, and he's just having a lot of fun. And, and, and as he's going through, he points at me on the, on the front row and he says, he's like, tell me to come up. And I was like, uh-uh, no. And then he looks at the audience and he goes, and everyone's like, go to baby. So I got tricked to go on stage. So I went on stage and he's kind of playing with me, like messing with me and he's hilarious. And then he starts messing with my belt and I slapped his hand away. And the moment I did, he looked at the audience and he goes, and he's just like, just doing these goo goo gaga sounds. And the audience is like, stop being mean to Mr. Baby. And I'm like, he's a grown man. So, he, so I'm like, settle down. I'm telling the audience, like, whoa. And he starts messing with my belt again. And I don't know how to explain it. You just had to be there. In a matter of seconds, my pants were pulled down to my ankles. There's 2,000 people in the audience, including my girlfriend and her parents on the front row. Now, luckily, he didn't pull my underwear down. Praise the Lord, right? I didn't have tidy whities on that day. Another good thing. And I'm standing there, and everyone's laughing. They whisk me backstage. They dress me like a baby in a diaper and a bonnet. They give me and this Mr. Baby a super soaker guns, and we walk out and super soaker the whole audience. And just for being a good sport, afterwards, they took a picture, and they gave me a picture of me and Mr. Baby dressed up as babies. You want to see it? You actually think I would show you that picture. Come on. Maybe on social later this week. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Now every time I get on stage, I'm just so worried someone's going to pull my pants down. I'm just kidding. I'm not. But it, if I was going to write a letter to myself, like my younger self, at the top of the list would be this. Ashley, stop worrying so much. Stop the anxiety. And I would write myself just a ton on that. Anybody else feel like you'd go back in time and write, write yourself a letter like that? Anybody? Anybody feel like you'd need that letter today? Yeah. What I want to do in, in this first weekend of Letters from My Future Self is I want to open scripture. I want to read you a letter that Jesus wrote you over 2,000 years ago, and it is the antidote from Jesus' mouth on how to deal with and the answer to get over your worry and anxiety. Now, I'm gonna use the words worry and anxiety a little interchangeably today. I know sometimes we, there, there's differences, but the reason I'm gonna do that is because in the New Testament, the same exact Greek word is translated and used for worry and anxiety. And here, here's the Greek word, not that you need to know it, I just want you to see it. It's merimno, merimno. And, it's, and it's, it's really the idea is the root word is your mind being divided in a hundred different directions. And that's what anxiety and worry feels like, doesn't it? I mean, your mind's just spinning out of control, going a million different directions. And here's what almost all of us know. We live in a world that is plagued with anxiety and people's minds spinning out of control. Many of us here today. 
And as we get started today, I want to make something really, really clear. In, in dealing with your worry and anxiety, I'm not opposed to medication in some extreme cases to kind of really get you, get you back on track. I don't think it's a great long-term solution, but I think it can be helpful in some instances. I'm not against going to counseling. I think you should absolutely go to counseling on this. See a Christian counselor. I'm not against reading books besides the Bible, and there's a lot of great resources out there to help on this. But can I just give you a dose of reality today for all of us? Right now, we have more medication and more people on medication for worry and anxiety than any time in human history. We have more people going to counseling than at any time in human history. And we have more books written on this subject for us today than at any time in human history. There's over 60,000 books on Amazon on anxiety and over 50,000 on worry available for you today. And in spite of all that we have in front of us to help us today, let me give you the facts. I cannot find one study in the world today that says that anxiety is going down. What does every statistic say? It's going up. Do you know the only demographic the last two years that shows any improvement in their anxiety? Gallup poll that's been done every single year for 20 years. 20 years I've been asking the same question about anxiety and the only demographic that's showing any level of improvement are those that attend church weekly, that's it. But what the data tells us is that with everything, we, we think it'd be going down with all these resources, it's only going up, is what we have to realize is many of us need a stronger foundation to stand on to deal with our anxiety, amen? And today I wanna give you a stronger foundation. And the foundation I want us to stand on is the words of Jesus, Jesus. Now, Admittedly, this is a complicated topic, you know, to handle in one week. So if you want to go deeper, and I'd really encourage you to do this. Three years ago, we did a series called Anxious for Nothing, and you can go back and watch that. It's going to be amazing. But today, I'm going to open up to Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and in it, he addresses worry and gives us the antidote. It's 10 verses I want to walk you through today, starting in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you... Do not worry. Like, knock it off. Now, let's, let's just kind of look at uh, uh, immediately, this is a command from Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus is saying and what he isn't saying, because I think that's important. Is Jesus saying, don't ever have a worry or concern in your life? No. If he was, we'd all be toast, right? Every single one of us. I mean, I, I've been there. I mean, even Jesus had a day in his life where he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane thinking about the cross the next day, right? So what is the command? Well, this is where it's really important that the Greek language is so beautiful. It's what the New Testament was written in. And this Greek phrase, do not worry, it's written in what's called the present active tense. And what that means is, is what Jesus is telling us is the command is not don't ever have a worry. Here's the command. Don't presently, actively carry your worries day after day after day after day. That's the command. Not that you'll never have a concern or worry. That's unrealistic. The command is don't carry your worries with you day after day after day. I think Max Lucado um, said this really, really well. Max Lucado said this. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable for all of us. But the prison of anxiety is optional. 
it is completely optional that you have to carry your anxiety with you every single day. And here's how we know that's true. Would Jesus give you a command that he wouldn't empower you by his spirit to carry out? No. Now what else is Jesus not saying? He's not saying, and do not worry, he's not saying don't be responsible. He's not saying don't save for the future, don't buy insurance, don't buckle your seatbelts with your kids, don't buy smoke alarms. He's not saying that. Sometimes if you're concerned, the best thing you can do is take action. If your marriage is on the rocks, go get help and get counseling. If your finances are a mess, get, make a budget. Take Financial Peace University, which we offer here. Jesus is not saying don't res be responsible. Here's what he's saying. There's a way in which you don't have to carry worry with you and anxiety with you day after day after day, which is where some of us are. And then Jesus goes on and he begins giving us examples of people, things people were worried about in his day. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and, the, and isn't the body more than just clothes? Now understand Jesus' first century audience. Most of them, almost all of them woke up every single day not knowing where their next meal would come from. That's, that's where they were. Most of them owned one pair of clothes, one. We have closets full. Most of us couldn't even imagine the last day we, we wondered where our next meal would come from. And the average life expectancy in Jesus' day was around the age of, of 25 to 30. You know what the average life expectancy for us today is? It's around 80. We have so much less to be worried about. And arguably, we're more worried than any generation in history, which proves this, that having more stuff and having more money doesn't take away worry and anxiety, does it? In fact, it can make it worse because you have more things to worry about, especially if you're putting your hope and happiness in material things. Got really quiet, didn't it? If Jesus was writing to us today, what, what might he say to us? I think he'd say things like this. Hey, plan for, but stop worrying about your retirement so much. Knock it off. Stop worrying if you'll ever get married if you're single. Hey, stop worrying if you'll ever be able to afford a house in this ho crazy housing market. Stop worrying if your kids are going to get sick. You're so concerned. Stop worrying if they'll ever get into that school or if you'll get into that school. Hey, work hard, but stop worrying about losing your job. Stop worrying about if there's some crazy financial crisis. Stop worrying so much about your image. You are consumed with what you look like. Knock it off. Hey, stop worrying about the pandemic. Stop worrying about politics. Here's what Jesus would say. Just stop worrying about your life. Now listen. That's Jesus talking, not me, all right? Don't email me if you're, if you're mad at that, all right? You can email me at markmore at yahoo.com, okay? I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not even a real email, but I'm just telling you, I, under my own authority, I would not stand on this stage and look at you and say, hey, hey, single, stop worrying if you'll ever get married. Knock it off. Hey, parent, just knock it off. Stop worrying about your kids. I wouldn't say that. You want to know why? I don't have the authority to control those things in your life. Now lean in, because if you miss this, you're gonna miss the whole message. I don't have the authority and control and ability to affect all those things in your life. I don't control them. But neither do you. 
Do you really think you control the economy? Do you really think you control the market going up and down? Do you really think you control if someone else will marry you? Do you really think you, you control your kids getting sick or not? Do you really think you control your employer doing well enough to keep you employed? Some of you are like, well, Ashley, I'm a high-powered executive. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Do you really think you're in control? Complete control. Now, some of us are pushing back. Well, I have a part to play. We have a part to play. Of course we have a part to play. But you don't actually think, for one stretch of the imagination, that you're completely in control of everything in your life, do you? None of us are. And now we're getting to the root of worry. What is the root issue with worry? The root issue with anxiety and worry is our desire for control. Let me put it this way. At the core of anxiety is the desire to control that which we can't fully control. Any control freaks feeling a little convicted right now? I want you to just watch my hands for a minute, just all eyes on me. There's, just imagine this, this is kind of your life. Imagine my hands picture our lives. There's certain things in our life that we want to control so desperately. And the image I want you to have is this, is the harder you try to control something, the more you'll shake with anxiety. Can I give you a few examples from my life? I'm just being transparent. There's times that I've been really worried about my kids. And honestly, it wasn't when my kids were younger. It's as, as, as they've gotten a lot older. And what I've realized with myself is that as my kids get older, my job as a parent is to release control. And I've realized my anxiety is because I want to control more. That's not good parenting. It just This happened last weekend. I'll give you another example. Someone asked me, they said, hey, do you, when you get on stage, do you, ever, do you ever still get like a little nervous or anxious? I'm like, yeah, I think someone's going to pull my pants down. You know? Just kidding. I don't think that. But what I, what I say almost every time is I say, yeah, I still do sometimes. I really do. I mean, honestly, I do. But you know what's helped me so much with being up here, with, with calming the nerves? I've realized sometimes the root of, of my, my anxiety is I want God to transform your life so desperately. You need to know my heart as a pastor. Like, I love you so much. I mean, I want God to transform your life. And what I've realized is maybe at times I think I'm more in control of that than I actually am. Do you understand if God's ever speaking to you in a service, that is not me, it's not anyone on this stage, that is God's spirit. I don't have the control or ability to change one person's life in this church. Only God can change your heart and open it. Do you understand that? And so it's helped me so much to realize, Ashley, you're not in control. God's it. God is. Let me ask, where are you trying to be in control? Where is it? Can I, 
tell you that Jesus goes on and he, he wants to explain to us how in control he actually is to help us. And here's what he says. It's kind of funny. Verse 26, he says next, he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds, Jesus. Are you serious? I have bills to pay. Just stop. Just look at the birds. The words look is like ponder. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father, who, who feeds them? Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Here's what Jesus is saying. Birds don't have 401ks, college degrees, or put helmets on their kids to protect them. You know what birds do? Birds build a nest as high as they can in a tree, have babies, and at a certain age, the birds go like this to their babies. Boop! Good luck! How's that for a parenting technique? Have you ever in your life seen a bird pacing on a branch. Oh no. Oh my gosh. Where am I going to get food today? Well, do I look okay? You know, have you ever seen that in your life? No. Why? Because even a bird brain knows <laughs> who's providing for them. Here's what Jesus says. That's a bird. You don't think I love you more than that? I know you love us, Jesus. I know you care about us, but, but I kind of want to still be in control. Like, I want to be in control because I'm not, I'm not trusting that you're in control. And Jesus is like, oh, oh, now we can get somewhere. This is the heart of the message. If you want to write something down or take a picture, this is, this is it. What you're trying to control the most reveals where you trust God the least. Let that sink in. It gets worse. You ready? <laughs> Where you trust God the least is what you'll worry about the most. Hence, here's the outcome. What you worry about the most reveals immediately where you trust God the least. And what is God's greatest desire for you in his life? To trust him. To trust him fully with every area of your life, that he's in control and he sees you. Watch what he says next. Jesus says, verse 27, can, can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, you're like, no, I can't. In fact, by worrying, I don't add hours, I take hours away. Because what's the leading cause of death in America today? Heart disease. What's the number one cause of heart disease? Stress from worry and anxiety. Aren't you glad you came today? Yeah. That's it. Which means what? Worry never helps solve tomorrow's problems. It only robs today of its joy. That's what it does. It just, it's just sucking the joy out of every single day. So Jesus goes on in verse 34, he says this, therefore don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, today, has enough trouble of its own. Now, this is an amazing word picture. Here's what Jesus is saying. Today, you're going to have trouble. Amen? Every single day. Now, listen, you have trouble today. Why would you take tomorrow's worries that you don't control and pile them onto the trouble you have today? That's when you get toasted. I love this quote from George MacDonald. He says this. He says, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. And this is why you're shaking with anxiety because you're pulling, you're pouring tomorrow's burdens which you don't control completely into today. Just worry about today. One day 
at a time. Jesus goes on, verse 31 and 32, so don't worry saying what should we eat or what should we drink, what should we wear. The pagans run after these things. Pagans are people that don't believe in God and don't have God. They should be worried. And your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. What if, what if tomorrow you started waking up every single day and you were 100% confident that God knew exactly what you needed and he was in control and could be trusted to provide for you? Would that not change everything? It would change your life immediately. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, I've given you this picture in the past. Actually, I was looking in my journal yesterday, and I didn't plan this for this weekend, but three years ago on the exact same weekend, I gave you this image. And this is God just, I think, just winking at you. But it was during the Anxious for Nothing series, I said, do you know where you have to stand if you want peace in your life? You have to stand between the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. This is where peace is found. God, you're good and you are in control. So much more, I'm not in control. This is where you find peace. And any time in your life that you find yourself in an anxious state, it's because you have walked out of the pillars of God's goodness and God's control. You've taken control or you're not trusting that God is good. And if you would Firmly plant yourself right here. This is where you have peace. Peace. Some of you would say, well, yeah, I mean, but, but God didn't seem good at some times in my life, and he didn't seem in control. Yeah, I've had those times too. But looking back now, can't you see that God was still working for your good, even in those hard times? That's Romans 8, 28, for we know that in Every situation, God is working for your, your good. Even in the hard times, I plant myself right here between these two pillars. So let me ask again, where are you not trusting God's goodness and control? Where, where's that area that you're crazy anxious and worried about? Can I make a prediction? Here's what I would tell you. Our weak spot with worry is often a stronghold where we haven't put God first. Your weak spot with worry right now is an area of your life that you're struggling to turn over and make God's kingdom first, not your kingdom first. Now, how can I say that so definitively? Because that's what Jesus said. In one of the most powerful verses in scripture, Jesus is getting to the end of his discourse on worry, and at the end, he gives us the answer. Matthew 6, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things that you're worried about will be given unto you. They'll be taken care of. Now listen, this is an if-then statement. It's an if-then statement. Here's what God says. If you will put my kingdom first in every area of your life, I promise to take care of every single one of your needs. Now that is an amazing promise. But what does it take? It takes trust. It takes us to stop focusing on our kingdom and trying to be in control and shaking all the time and saying, God, I just want to release. 
I don't want to make you first in my life in every area instead of me. And can I probe a little bit in your life to kind of get up in your business a little bit? Because I've been trying to do this with myself too. I'm just going to probe a little bit. 70 to 75% of Americans say the number one thing they worry about, this is statistics, the number one thing they worry about is their finances. What's the hardest area for most Christians to put God first in? With their finances. I mean, it's a stronghold for some of you, and you have the strongest grip on your money that anyone could imagine. And God's like, would you just, would you put me first every single time you get paid? And you watch how I bless that. And some of you are missing out on the peace of God in your finances because you won't put God first. You're just struggling there. And God's just gonna challenge you today. Would you put me first? I can eliminate the worry when I'm in control, not you. Maybe another area. Some of you are single here today and your greatest concern is will God ever bring someone in my life, that special someone, will I ever get married? I just wanna pause and ask you, in your pursuit of that person, are you putting God first? In how you dress? in what you'll do sexually, in where you're looking for a spouse, what you'll, what you'll tolerate in, in someone. Are you putting God first? My, my hunch is some of you are so worried that you begin to bait people and do things that aren't putting God first because you're not trusting that God can bring along someone better than you can bait them. And God's gonna call you back today and say, listen, you're missing out on the person I wanna bring your way because you're not putting me first. And the best advice I've ever heard for singles came from my friend Dave Stone. He said this, here's what you do if you're single. You run as fast as you can after Jesus and then you look around and see who's keeping up. Is that good? I mean, that is so good. And that's what you need to do is you trust that when you put God first in your life, He'll bring someone along when you don't even expect it. I mean, serve at church. Get plugged in at church. That's where you find someone good. Not in a bar. Come on. Let me, let me, let me move on. This one isn't any easier. I want to talk to you moms. Some of you moms are obsessively worried about your kids. So worried that your kids are your kingdom instead of God. Many of you moms, you know what you'll do? You'll miss church because of your kids' activities and sports. Some of your kids aren't going to camp this summer because you, you have other things going on. I just want you to let it sink in that when God's kingdom isn't first with your kids, you're taking control instead of putting God first. And the greatest thing you could do as a parent, not only for today, but for your kids' future, is to make sure your kids know who's number one in their lives and yours. Let me speak to you men. You didn't think I was gonna lay off the hook, did you? 
Now, this is a, a man and woman thing, but I think guys struggle sometimes more. Men, some of you, your work is your worship. It's your God. And it's the number one thing in your life because you're so worried about providing for your family or getting that promotion or staying in power. And you just, your, your work consumes you even above your family and especially above God. You'll miss church. You're not a part of a, a CCV small group during the week because you're too busy. And I'm just telling you, God could begin to remove your anxiety if you'd simply put him first. Because what's the promise? Seek my kingdom first and all these things you're worried about will be added unto you. Let me end with this, because I think this is a lot of people. If you're married here today, a lot of you, your number one worry is, is your marriage going to make it? Is it going to... Is it going to be able to weather this storm we're in right now? And if it doesn't, I mean, what would happen to me? What would happen to the kids? How would I financially provide for myself? And let me just say, in a marriage, when things aren't going well, what do you try to do? You try to begin to control the other person, right? Let me just remind you, you understand you can't control another person, right? You can't change. Who's the only person you can change in a relationship? That would be you. So you put God first, and then in your marriage, to the best of your ability, you make sure God is at the center of your marriage. You never miss a weekend of church. You are in God's word together. You, you stop pursuing all the other things you think are gonna make you happy. You know what some marriages are centered around? Pleasure, vacations, and alcohol. Honestly, you're seeking something that will not satisfy you. And you need to put God at the center and watch him transform your marriage into what it could be. I could go on and on and on. I'm just, I'm just asking, what area of your life is God not first? And that's the area that, that you're most anxious. So as we, as we come here to a, to a time where I'm just going to give you some time to reflect, I want to ask you two questions. And you can answer them now, but I really challenge you to get alone this week or maybe with your spouse or or with your small group, or with a group of friends, and just answer these two questions. Write these down. Answer these two questions. You have to do it. Number one is, what are you trying to control the most right now? It will reveal immediately the thing that you're worried about the most. What are you trying to control? And number two, this is the important one, how can you start putting God first in that area of your life today? Today. Just pick one thing. How can I start putting God first? Because remember, our weak spot with worry is almost always a stronghold where we haven't put God first. Listen. If you would put Jesus first, when he becomes all you need, the promise from Matthew 6.33 is God will take care of all your needs. Amen. Dear younger me, you're at another crossroads, another season of life with big decisions, and I know it weighs on you because you care. You always worry about the things that are important, but you've already been through so much, some really hard times, yes, but also so many good ones. I can tell you firsthand that things get better. God always comes through. It's what he does, and you've seen it time and again. So as you stare down this next chapter, don't waste a moment worrying what tomorrow brings. Don't place your hope 
in temporary things.